hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of What They Don't Tell You at the Hair Salon. It's me, your favorite indie author, LaDosha Wright, coming to you live and direct from sunny Cleveland, Ohio. It's official. We finally have some sunshine and spring has arrived. And boy, aren't we excited. People are getting vaccinated. I'm going to get mine next Monday. So, hey, things are finally start to look good. Now, speaking of looking good, I don't know if you guys saw the good-looking uh, Cardi B and Megan Stallion's performance on the Grammys last week. I think they performed the song WAP. Now, of course, you guys know I don't watch TV, and I think I've heard the song maybe twice. I haven't seen the video, but the performance has received a lot of mixed reviews. Some hate it, some loved it. I'm not quite sure, but hey, it's Cardi B. It's Megan Stallion. This is the new way things are going down for the ladies in the hip-hop world. So uh, what do you guys think? I don't know. Okay, so WAP it all not. When I was a teenager, WAP was a dancer. It means something totally different today. And again, totally, totally different today is the continued hate that's taking place in America. Folks have got to get it together. The unfortunate, and I'm talking about when I tell you this stuff is crazy, insane, the killing of all of those innocent people uh, in small town Georgia. Um, it, it's just, it's, uh, it leaves me speechless. I'm glad to see everybody, you know, rallying behind the Asian community to end all of this hate, this killing. We don't know what's going on here. Well, we know what's going on. It's racism and it needs to end. What we don't know is why are these people continuing to have access to these guns to do all this crazy stuff? Um, I understand the whole right to bear arms, but we've got to come up with a better way um, to help people be responsible with their firearms because senseless killings uh, for any people, persons, group, it's just, it's, it's got to go. As a matter of fact, killing, period. Uh, so the only thing I need to kill is some of these calories on my hips, okay? Um, another big controversy um, that's taking place, uh, again, right around Grammy time or during Grammy time, Samaria Rice, you guys may know her as the mother of Tamir Rice, who was unfortunately murdered uh, here in Cleveland at the playground while playing with the toy gun. She called out Tamika Mallory and others of the Black Lives Matter movement on their commodification of black death at the hands of white police. It got real heated. It's continuing to stay heated. Now, I will have to admit, now remember, this is a LaDosha right opinion, and you guys know what they say about opinions. They are like cell phones. Everybody has one. And in my opinion, I do stand with Samaria Rice. I was of the belief that the Black Lives Matter movement was actually um, helping these families out, meaning the uh, families of uh, their children, their sons and daughters were killed uh, uh, by uh, white police officers. So I thought they were actually helping the families, giving something back. 
uh, of course, at least to their communities and uh, directly to the families. But according to Samaria Rice, none of that is taking place. So now that's making me side-eye the BLM movement, though it's a good movement, but uh, you know, that's that's kind of wrong. You can't be doing that. Um, so, um, so these current events are actually what's on the minds of many American citizens today. I'm sure you all have some opinions about some of these topics. So keep the discussion going and wherever you can make a difference, please, you know, make a difference in your home, your personal lives, your career to make America, you know, a really good place to live for all people because hate, racism, and the commodification of uh, black death uh, it's just not a good thing. Uh, the state of certain affairs in America needs immediate attention and restructuring. So just as we see social facets, we also uh, 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 we see social facets and um, race, you know, uh, policing, uh, also uh, women's issues. We also see this in education. But when we think of education, guys, we typically think of, you know, elementary school. We think of college. Uh, one part of education that we really don't think about is a uh, vocation or, you know, career tech, that type of, uh, uh, you know, uh, discipline. So, I, my education falls up under vocation, and that would be cosmetology. Now, I do have a little, you know, degree, but I'm more of a cosmetologist than I am a social scientist. Uh, and so that education in cosmetologist needs a lot of attention. So today, this podcast is so, 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 so special to me because there is no big secret that if there's anybody out there who's the beacon for education and cosmetology, it's me, Key Lolo, your favorite indie author, LaDosha Wright. And so today I get the blessed opportunity to interview, that's right, to interview one of the finest people in the cosmetology industry here in the state of Ohio. And I do believe that it, it is interviews like this one today is why Fee Spot ranked what they don't tell you at the hair salon, one of the top 25 hairstylist podcast to listen to in 2021. So big ups to Fee Spot for giving me uh, that much needed attention. But again, I believe they selected this podcast because when you guys hear this interview um, that I'm about to have with Sue Carter Moore of Salon Groups, you all are going to be like, I need to first probably get enrolled into that school if I want to do some hair. And then number two, I need to continue to listen to this podcast. So Sue Carter Moore, uh, she is of the Salon Schools Group, and she can correct me if I'm wrong, but they have four schools and a spa school, and I believe they're located throughout Southern Ohio. And she has been dedicated to this industry since I've been on this earth. So y'all know she's my favorite. I'm talking about I've had the opportunity to work with her be corrected by her, break bread with her, literally bread, though my hips are way bigger than hers. I don't think it's fair. So without further ado, the beautiful, beautiful Sue Carter Moore. Yay! That's my Carmen DeFrog hey. voice. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. How are you doing today? I'm doing just great. I'm looking out at the bright sunshine. I'm at uh, our uh, business office in Canal, Winchester, Ohio, which is just right outside Columbus. Bright, sunny day. The 
American flags flapping in the wind. And I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch this afternoon. So what more could a girl want? Oh, she can want lunch with me because, you know, you have great taste in food. So um, so speaking of great taste and uh, all of your, you know, your accolades, you know, just by way of your extended commitment to the beauty industry. We've got to start off, of course, this is a pandemic. So uh, now we know you're not representing every single educator uh, in the beauty industry, but from your perspective, uh, what is the current state of uh, education and slash cosmetology, our industry? How are things going during this pandemic? Well, um, you know, from our, there are two phases to our education, as you very well know. One is the theory portion of the education, and the second is practical, hands-on experience. We have been fortunate in that we were able to roll over to online education, as did the majority of schools in Ohio, insofar as the theory is concerned. Uh, practical education has been presented uh, with more of a challenge because we closed, we opened briefly, and then we had to close again and go totally on online. But cosmetology schools uh, are, are hampered by regulations by the state as to how much of our education can be online, and then also how much uh, uh, education is controlled by the Accrediting Commission, the National Accrediting Commission for Cosmetology, Arts, and Sciences. Um, if you're an accredited school, you, which we are, of course, um, they also stipulate how many hours can be spent on on online. Um, so we're working our way through it. I heard somebody once describe their uh, plans as like learning to fly an airplane while you're 50,000 feet up. That's kind of how we we had to approach it. But um, things seem to be loosening back up here in Ohio. Um, I, I feel fortunate. I think our governor has been a good governor insofar as his plan. And I just read today that about 25% of the population of Ohio has at least had their first vaccination. So that's a step in the right direction. Um, insofar as our schools are concerned, like many salons, um, we have to take the temperature of every client when they come in. It's total online booking. We just used to open our doors and the clients would come in and it would be a first come, first serve kind of basis. And it would not be uncommon to have 10 or 15 clients waiting for a student service. But nowadays they have to call ahead. They have to sit in their car uh, until... Uh, we're able to have them come into the school when their student is ready to provide their service. And, uh, you know, in a, in a sense, and you and I are both old school for sure, it's like, you know, put three sets together and put stick three ladies under the dryer, eat a 10-minute lunch, and then start three comb outs. Well, that, that's not way... So our students are a little bit hampered in that they're not learning to serve multiple clients uh, at a time. And I think that um, will impact their uh, earning ability later on when they get in a salon. So hopefully things will be lightened up and they're able to work on their speed. Because right now we're doing some really, really good haircuts that take two hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that ain't going to last, but, uh, 
We know that. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. So, you know, we've had to make adjustments. I think we're coming out of it. And, of course, everything's super sanitary. Um, you know, masks, our, our stations are marked off. Students don't sit next, next to each other any time uh, at all. And, you know, for a time we were not performing services on each other. Now we've lightened that up a little bit. And I, I really hate to say it, we've not had any kind of a, a scare that we've had multiple people be sick. Um, you know, I think okay. it's been helpful that the public schools have uh, been closed so that our students, and of course, many of our students are mothers with children at home and, and they're able to work their way through this. So I think the sun's coming out insofar as this is, okay. this is concerned, unless people get real stupid and start gathering in big groups. Okay. Well, we hope that won't happen here like it's happening down no there in Florida. Uh, so I so I concur that the uh, um, um, governor um, DeWine has done an outstanding job. And I and just from your very detailed and we do appreciate that uh, you gave us such a you know, a detail-oriented description of what's taking place in the school. And I'm sure everyone who's listening are now definitely getting a sense of the level of commitment that people who are interested in becoming licensed are demonstrating during a pandemic because uh, she is not or has not reported that students are refusing to comply with online education and refusing uh, to comply with the standards that are set in place for them to continue their education. And in lieu or in spite of what can and cannot take place, because of course we want to protect the students, which by of that in turn, we get to re, uh, protect the public. So with that being said, we see um, the, the evolution of cosmetology changing in so many different ways. For, for one, the pandemic has definitely influenced how the industry is evolving uh, during this unfortunate time. We also understand that there uh, is an attempt to lower the standards of education and cosmetology. And uh, I believe I read a, a quote on Facebook that you said that this is the fourth attempt to lower the standards of uh, SB 133, Senate Bill 133. So first of all, is that true? Is this the fourth attempt? Yes, ma'am, Ms. Ladosha, it is the fourth okay. attempt. That means that okay, this Okay, now is can you explain... To, uh, Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Let me give you a little uh, just brief outline. In the state of Ohio, um, the legislature, that would be the Senate and the House, have two years in order to pass a new law. And they have failed uh, in three general assemblies. If at the end of the second year of the general assembly, then that law, the potential for that law to pass goes away and you have to introduce legislation again. So we have spent six years already fighting legislation and they lost and they lost and they lost. And they're thinking like maybe fourth time is going to be the charm. And they introduced a bill. And that's the same senator. She was in the House the first go round, and now she's moved over to the Senate, uh, Senator Christina Roganer. And I don't know. She thinks it's good to reduce. Well, I, actually, I think I do know why, but I can't prove it. Um, but she, this is her fourth attempt. Fourth. 
uh, attempt to reduce cosmetology education from the current 1500 clock hours, reduce it to 1000 hours. That's reduce it by one third. Also included in this bill is to reduce barber styling, which currently is at 1800 hours. And she wants to slash it almost in half and and make that be also 1000 clock hours. Um, You know, her thing is uh, to a certain extent that the Cosmetology laws are meant to protect uh, the general public. There's no mention um, in her mind as to the skill set that each graduate must have in order to have a a lucrative and long-term career. And as we all know, the cosmetology industry is populated in vast majority by women. And uh, barbering is um, moving toward a much higher female population, but it is, I think, 38% of the barber students in Ohio are African-American males. Oh, okay. What's that tell you? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Less education is never a good thing. You know, why? Why? You know, and my public opinion on it, and I've not been bashful about saying it, is that chain national chain salons and i don't want to mention any names but start thinking about them i got you start thinking about them um you know they need workers you know these are franchises that have been sold to non-licensed professionals maybe your dentist might own a hair hair salon that's a national chain what's he need he needs employees and he the and they keep opening more and more and more and salons are saying well there aren't enough licensed cosmetologists in the state and my parry to that statement is maybe there are too many chain salons in the state maybe the franchise ors that's who's making the money you know uh they sell a franchise for 150 $200,000. And trust me, those are real numbers because I looked into how, uh-huh, that's how much it costs. And what are you getting for that? You're getting a lease that you have to pay on a monthly basis. They'll they'll help you do a build out in uh, the salon, you know, fit it out, et cetera, et cetera. What they can't supply the individual with is workers, is licensed cosmetologists. And now, I don't know if it's true in Cleveland, but start looking around at newly opened barbershops. I am seeing here in Columbus franchised barber salons. So the mm. bar, uh huh. So there's going to be a lot more push on the barbers. I think this is one girl's opinion uh, to reduce the education in order to staff those barber shops, those chain barber salons. And one of them is a men's aftershave company that has a sailboat for a logo. You might want, maybe you remember that sitting in your desk. Okay. You think you might know who that is? Okay. I remember uh, that. You remember that? Yeah. Okay. okay. I hear you. Okay. Yeah. So, so now I, I agree with you that opinions are like cell phones and I'm glad that you are giving the listeners to, uh, of what they don't tell you at the hair salon, a heavy dose of your opinion. We are appreciate it so in your opinion is this a contest somewhat between uh those salon lofts and the salon chains i yes, mean when ma'am. you speak of employment so you 
but I threw my interview for a loop, as we say in, in my neck of the woods. I wasn't ready. <laughs> Sorry, I, I love dropping bombs like that. Um, you were exactly right, Ladosha. <laughs> and you remember Booth Riddle, don't you? When I was first starting out in the salons, that yes. was something that was tossed around. That's what African Americans did. They did Booth Rental, and that was the term, Booth Rental. That has now evolved into what's called the Independent Contractor License. Ohio has an independent contractor license in the state of Ohio and these lofts and suites and whatever you want to call them um, where the, the graduates can go to work by themselves in a 10 by 10 space and become quote, an independent contractor, be an independent business owner. And that, barn that horse has been out the barn door for a long time that license will never be able to be eliminated but the so the big money people have to um, figure out another way in order to get employees how do they get that they how do they eliminate people being able to work on their own and open their own business that's lower the standards of education so that they can't succeed as an independent contractor that they need to go to work in a, a hairstyling factory. So that's my oh, that's take. Deep. Uh, that, okay, now you guys, uh, we're going to ask you guys to do some things. It's never too late to uh, solicit the help and the power of all of those who are listening to this podcast because this podcast is really, it's really trending for real, for real. So towards the end of this interview, Sue and I are definitely going to need you all's assistance like we've never done before. Um, but as we continue on, I looked over the Senate bill and I saw a few conflicts, but I'm just going to speak of one. And so that's lines 376 through through 81 through 381. And I should also inform everyone who's listening, uh, this Senate bill is available for you to view on your own. Um, so I am looking at lines 376 through lines 381. And it says, establish writing testing guidelines for cosmetologist students seeking to test, to, to early test after meeting the minimum number of hours. So can you explain, because you just said they want to reduce it to 1,000. So in this line item, they're saying that the students can test early after meeting the minimum. So if 1,000 hours is the minimum, is there another minimum that I'm missing here or our listeners? Uh, help us out with that one. Okay, easily done. Um, they want the full course to be 1,000 clock hours. They're establishing the minimum cosmetology course hours as 750 hours. In other words, they're saying at 750 hours, a student can sit for the written portion of the cosmetology examination. And it goes further with the other disciplines. Aesthetics is a 600-hour course in Ohio. That's skincare. Um, they're stating that students can sit for the written portion of the examination at 450 hours. And the natural hairstylist course, they can sit for the exam at 337 and a manicurist at 150 hours. My statement to that is we ain't finished teaching at 750 hours, honey. We have a, you know, how can you take a written examination? But it goes back to 
the proponents for this legislation saying that the state only has to provide the minimum standards and that has to do with protect the public. And, you know, that does not teach a, a life skill. The other thing that this, this legislation does is state that when it's time for a student after they've graduated, after they've completed their 1,000 hours, then the school that they attended gives the examination, the practical part of the examination. Really? Okay, now, does Yale Law School examine their lawyers after they take the bar exam? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. And is hmm. there any sense of impropriety? Would there be some schools that, oh, look, all, all my students got 100%. I do not, as a school person, want to be put in the position where I am examining my own students. Now, the other thing, if one is thinking, yeah, that's... no, I don't want to do that. I, you know, I don't want to examine my yeah, own no, students. No, 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 go ahead. That's, that's, that's very oh, controversial. No. I, it is for me. The other thing is, if I were a state employee and working for the Board of Cosmetology and the Board of Barber Examiners, and my job was to administer the examination and be a proctor at the examination, to myself, oh my gosh, does that eliminate my job? <laughs> hmm. Do you think I'm so you think Let I'm me ask you this. No, no, you're definitely not wrong. So we, we got a little, we're losing you just a little bit. Uh, so can you repeat that? Because we, uh, you bleeped out just a little bit. So just that last statement. The last statement that I was making has to do with the proctors uh, at the State Board of Cosmetology and Barbering. And that is if the schools are going to be given the practical portion of the examination after a student graduates. First of all, I don't want to do it as a school. I don't want to examine my own students. And if the written examinations have already been done at another examination facility across the state, those proctors have to be saying, what's going to happen to my job? Is it going to be eliminated? So that's, I think, a natural uh, question that people should be asking. If I were examiner, I'd be a little bit worried about this legislation. Yeah, so, uh, so with that being said, will that type of testing, so will that eliminate the traditional testing where you had your written test and then you had a, a practicum or a demonstration. So will that, will that change? Uh, I don't, it's, it's not addressed in the legislation, but I don't see the need for the examination center if the written exam has already been given uh, earlier at undisclosed locations. And if the school is testing their practical skills, what is the need for an examination center? Okay, so, okay, guys, I hope everyone is listening to what she is saying. Now, I do have blonde in my hair, and we know the stereotype of blondes is that, you know, typically, whether it's artificial or natural, we're pretty dumb. So if this is a dumb question, I want you guys to just hunk your horn or, you know, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm certain no horns are going to be blowing right about now. So what you're saying is the cosmetology industry that traditionally and currently requires human-to-human -human contact, they're going to now, uh, they're introducing a bill to lower the standards of education 
take those lower minimum standards of education hours and make them a little bit lower because there's an official minimum. And on top of that, it does not include a testing with humans. So there's no roller setting. There's no, uh, you know, you know, applying the relaxer, none of that, no cutting. Well, it does. Is that it gone? does include that, but it's requiring the school to do it. Okay, so the school is going to do it. Oh, okay, so it just keeps getting more interesting because we know how this can really turn because to her point, some schools will now have this 100% success rate. We don't know what would happen if a student had to transfer into another school system and, and still have to take that test. So this gets, a, this gets very, very, very murky. So in the, in the murkiness of it all, what does a politician have to gain uh, with the passing of this bill like what what how does this benefit them or why would is it their constituents you know help help our listeners out or, or can you i can that? only speculate but politicians survive um keep their jobs by having um contributions made to uh their campaigns I think the average uh, cost or the average salary of a state legislator is somewhere in the high $60,000 per year, and they earn additional money if they are um, a committee chair because that entails more work or if they're, um, you know, if they have a higher position within the legislature. So, and that's considered a part-time job. They're in Columbus three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So that leaves a lot of other free time that they pursue other activities such as lawyers and independent business owners and that sort of thing. So, you know, having a part-time job, and I know I'm minimizing it because I know many legislators, you know, spend a additional time, but, you know, their work schedule is three days a week for, you know, let's call it a $70,000, $75,000 a year salary. Oh, okay, that's kind of a job I wouldn't mind having, plus all the state benefits that they are. Uh, yeah. yeah, yes. So, uh, so wow. how do they keep that job? They keep that job by uh, running for election. And if you run for election, what do you have to do? You have to, uh, they takes a lot of money to run elections. So that means you have to have campaign contributions and campaign contributions come from the citizens or, f and that's why people um, employ what's called a lobbyist. That's when, you know, you might pay several thousand dollars a month to a lobbyist who will help you get legislation passed. And along the way, he might, the lobbyist might advise you. And I don't think a lobbyist is a dirty word because effectively that's what I'm doing. Only I'm doing it for free. So I'm, I'm, I'm lobbying for the defeat <laughs> of this bill. But, you know, other lobbyists earn a lot of money. Um, by helping other people get legislation passed. And they might tell their, their um, the people they're lobbying for, their client, well, we've got a fundraiser over here and it costs $500. I remember the days when fundraisers cost $25 and you can go in and have a couple of cocktails and call it a night. Now, $500 a pop is a pretty inexpensive fundraiser. And so that fundraiser goes into the campaign funds for that particular legislation. Um, 
legislature to get reelected to hold that $75,000 a year job. So it's, it's like a little circus. So yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty intense. intense. Okay. Okay. All right. So we hope you guys, instead of reading between the lines, we hope you guys are listening in between the lines. And we also hope that you are able to connect the dots and definitely understand that um, this uh, Senate Bill 133 is not to the benefit of cosmetology or barbering education. It is actually to the detriment. And so um, with that being said, um, help our listeners understand how does this hurt the public, the lowering the education, because they need, I want people who's listening to this, because they hear me, I'm the champion for change, so they're used to me, I've been radicalized by hip-hop, you know what I'm saying, so uh, they know, okay, Ladosha, you're, you're always on the left, okay, so can you help them understand, how does this hurt them as people who are going to be going to hair salons, barbershops, nail salons, you know, skincare places, getting their hair braided. How will this hurt them if it if it will hurt them at all? Oh, I, how can it not hurt them? I mean, like you're going to have a far less skilled um, uh, professional, uh, a barber or, or stylist, hairstylist, performing their services. Uh, maybe you know, their haircut's not as good. You know, we're working with a lot of chemicals these days that we didn't used to work with, particularly in skincare. And then, of course, you know, with African-American hair care, there's all kinds of stuff going on. When I was in beauty school, we only used razors, but, you know, times have changed. Times change. We moved it over to cutting with shears. There was a time when our school did not issue blow dryers and curling irons. Imagine that. We just worked with rollers and pin curls. Times change. You know, you have to keep up with what's happening within the industry. And if a client walks in and wants a specific kind of haircut and the students only had time to learn two kinds of haircuts while they've been in school, well, you better hope you're going to like one of the two she knows how to do. Or that that's that now professional with only 1,000 hours of training has to pay additional money to take professional classes to learn the kinds of things that she should have learned in school or he should have learned in school. And for people to say... Uh, for the proponents of this legislation to say, well, you can reduce your tuition. Um, okay, so now let's say this legislation passes and suddenly my income flow now is reduced by uh, a third. They think, well, yeah, reduce your income, uh, reduce your tuition by a third since you're providing one third less education. Oh, okay. Who's going to pay the, who's going to pay my rent? You know, is my landlord going to, is your landlord going to reduce your rent? If, uh, you know, you say, well, I, you know, I can't pay it. Well, if I don't have the income coming in for, from tuition, the landlord's not going to say, okay, I'll reduce your rent by a third. Gas company's not, not going to reduce any of our utilities by a third. Are my teachers going to earn a third less mm-hmm. because the license now is one third shorter than what it uh, used to be. You know, my budget is based on a certain amount of, of income. Therefore, you know, and you don't just lease something for a year, you lease it for five years. And my supplies, I'm, I'm going to, it's going to cost me the same thing for perms and color as it did before, uh, before the education was reduced. So you just can't make a blanket statement, say, well, it costs students less to go to school. My, I pose it's going to cost students more on a per hour basis. It's going to cost yeah. them more. And that's just right. with 
it in their All licensing right. education, then they have to go beyond that and pay additional money to learn how to do the things they should have learned when they were in school. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now what you're saying is the Etsy, because I think people don't understand the, the, the value of the education. So I hope you are definitely gathering that what Sue is basically saying is that the education helps with deductive reasoning. Of course, we agree with any senator or human who wants to uh, make sure public safety is first and foremost. In addition, we want the, uh, the education of cosmetology helps students learn how to you know, use discernment and definitely have improved customer service to address the diversity and myriad of uh, requests and issues that comes up in a hair salon and barbershop. So now you know I got to play devil's advocate before we wrap up. So what about the people who are saying, and I could just go on YouTube, this lady, Ladosha, you got this lady on here. She's got 50 years of experience. She doesn't, she does not understand that we don't need to go to school anymore because we can just look at it on YouTube and hurry up and get us a job real, real fast and not have to pay all this money. So to their point, people who are pushing that, uh, what do you say about, um, you know, people turning to YouTube to learn how to do or think? I got two yeah, words for you. They're learning I how got, to do stuff. Yeah. I'm going to get it. She cut me off, y'all. I, I got, y'all. I got your forearm for the cutoff. And that would be Gorilla Glue. <laughs> oh, go there. <laughs> Come on. Go there, Sue. Take them, take them to the river. Gorilla glue. Who thought it was a good idea to smooth that hair down with gorilla glue? Well, she saw it on YouTube. Yes, she did. Hey. <laughs> yes, she did. Did y'all hear that? So education and cosmetology and barbering is important. Two words, y'all. Gorilla. She said gorilla. I'm going to say gorilla. Gorilla glue is going to definitely, um, you know, let you know that the education of cosmetology is important. So do not advocate for the lowering of the standards of education and cosmetology because um, we can really, really do some wonderful, wonderful things. And the education is important. I consider myself very successful. And I know it is because I have a solid 1800 hours. So, um, so as we wrap up, we got a game to play and I'm gonna ask you uh, some wonderful things about yourself. So what can we do, those of us who are listening, those of you who are helping to keep what they don't tell you at the hair salon as one of the top 25 podcast hairstylist podcasts to listen to in 2021. What can all the people who are listening, what can we all okay. do? Okay. Thank you for that question, Ladesha. I think it's on your Facebook page and it's definitely on mine. So, and mine's a public Facebook page. If you want to send me a request, Sue Carter Moore or be Ladosha Wright's friend. And there are a couple of post that I put up uh, yesterday and the day before, and that is uh, when a bill is introduced, the sponsor of the bill has to do it in front of the committee. That is scheduled to take place Wednesday of this week. That's day after tomorrow. So the sponsor, Senator Christina Rogener, is going to present 
the bill to the committee that's going to hear it. In advance of that, I'm asking people, and the list of the senators on that committee is posted on my page, it's posted on Ladosha's page, and that's their telephone numbers and their email addresses. And if you're listening to this podcast, it would be a huge help if you would make a phone call. You're probably going to get a recording, but leave a message to that senator's office and say, I am am uh, I am not licensed. I am not affiliated with any, whatever your story is. You know, I'm a woman. I'm a, and you're not doing me any favors by reduce, or a man, you're not doing me any favors by reducing cosmetology in the state of Ohio. We don't want it. No, thank you. This is a bad idea. Uh, send an email stating the same thing. I am a citizen of the state of Ohio and don't think you're doing this to help me because it isn't anything I want. I want my hairdresser to be well-trained in more than just not spreading disease. I want to know when I go into a beauty salon that somebody's going to use a good product on my hair, is going to know how to make that razor work. And for instance, in skincare, you know, we work with scalpels. We teach our students in school how to dermaplane the face and that's done with a scalpel and just because you can get it on amazon doesn't mean you know how to use it so so go to my page go to ladosha's page and just make a quick make seven phone calls send seven emails to these senators and say we don't want this no thank you ma'am Okay. All right. So before we wrap up, can we just play a real quick fun game? This is something that I borrow from my dear friend um, of the Kofi Side research team. His name is Kofi Side, And this game is called Rapid Response. Now the listeners love to play. This is definitely a very fun game. It's not meant to be taken seriously. So to those of you who are new to this platform, please join us and play the game. It'll make you laugh, even though, you know, the state of what we're going through seems a little bit difficult. We like to end things on a very, very happy note and have a little fun. So the name of this game is called Rapid Response. So I'm just going to say a few words. And then the very first word that comes to your mind, you just say it. And hopefully some of these responses will make you laugh, make you go, hmm, or say, no, she didn't. And so um, are you ready to All right, so here we go. Uh, Sue, who took us to the river and dipped us and baptized us with the Gorilla Glue statement. Let's get ready. The first word is Donald Trump is awful. (laughs) I'm sorry, y'all. Can I tell you how much I don't like Donald Trump? And I'm a Republican, Rodosha. I am Republican, and that man is awful. Diversity, I think, is um diversity is a good thing okay, French. Diversity is good. hairdresser sue cosmetologist <laughs> don't like that term antiquated shot. 1950s term a higher salon. end Love them. Beauty. The world, hopefully, one day. 
All right. So that is it. I think we all did a good job. We had fun. I do like the very first statement, I have to admit. So as you all know, the name of the podcast is What They Don't Tell You at the Hair Salon. And again, I got to just keep putting it out there. It has been ranked as one of the top 25 hairstylist podcasts to listen to by Feedspot in 2021. So big up, big ups to Feedspot. I so, so appreciate you. And uh, and we also know it's also the name of my book. So I have to ask every single person who comes on the show because everybody who listens to my podcast just so happens to be people who also love to read. So is there a book that you've read or a book that you're reading now that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, yes, I, I actually am a pretty voracious reader and I, I generally like novels and what have you. But I knew you were going to maybe talk about this because you generally do. But I'm currently reading a book and it's been it's taken me a long time to read it because it's a difficult to, book to read. It's called If This is a Woman by Sarah Helm. And it describes uh, during World War II, Hitler's uh, concentration camps for women. And it is a difficult, difficult Mm. book to read. It is well-researched, but it makes me grateful for the country in which we live with regard to how other countries behaved in the past and it points out the necessity of everyone being involved in politics and say it can't happen here votes count ask stacy abrams she's kind of my little shero these days and i um mm-hmm. uh, think it's a tough read, but I'm glad I'm reading it because you, it's hard to believe that these things actually happened. Um, you know, 1940 is, I guess now, <laughs> looking at it from my age, a long way, a long time ago. But it wasn't uh, when I was born, 1947, when I was in high school, we were just 20 years away from uh, World War II. And it it happened. And and that happened and it can't happen again and making your vote count is important okay okay so if this sarah is sarah helm by sarah helm and i had to i had to i'm sorry but i ordered it through amazon and okay it's a paper book and raven's brook is the name of the concentration camp um, that was in uh, actually Poland, but you know uh, the Germans were manning it. So read it. It's a struggle to get through it. All right. Okay. So I, I so I will repeat that again. If this is a woman uh, by Sarah Helm. Um, it's a good book that she's reading. She says it's a difficult read, but she thinks uh, everybody should read the book. And we like to do that here on what they don't tell you at the hair salon. And of course, I did ask her what we can do to help this uh, stop, rather, this SB 123 bill from passing. And she says, please reach out to her uh, Sue Carter Moore page on Facebook. And of course, y'all know y'all could just go on everything. I'm going live later on today. It's going to be on my YouTube channel. It's going to be on 
my Instagram. So I'm going ham on this situation. I'm going to put up a, a letter that you all can kind of, you know, template it from, or like you said, just make the phone call and do what you can because your barbers and your licensed professionals, we will all truly, truly um, appreciate your uh, advanced support. Is there one last thing that you want to impart before oh, we gosh. thank everybody for their um, time? <laughs> well, let me tell you a little story. When you said earlier about it's like cell phones, everybody has one. I, I heard that statement originally slightly different, that everybody mm -hmm. has one, you know what. And today's my would have been my mother's 97th birthday. She died uh, about 11 months ago uh, in a nursing home. And her last few months were not pleasant just because of the COVID thing. And you made me think of her today, uh, Ladosha, when you said that, because in visiting her once, uh, I said to her, uh, you know, I forget what we were talking about. I said, you know, I think it was opinions are like, and, and I said the word that we all know, that I'm thinking everybody has one. Yeah. And, and, but this, is this is uncensored. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I yeah, said to yeah, my they mom, won't shut us down. Um, this is not, you know, not it's like assholes. Everybody <laughs> has one. And I don't know why in her last days, she found that to be a favorite phrase. And she was telling everybody that the nurses who tended her, the, <laughs> The, the doctors who would come into her room she thought it was the funniest thing in the world and so she repeated it numerous times and you made me think of her today uh Ladosha, on what would have been her 97th birthday so that's just a, a bit of personal personal story uh that's that's very very special I, I told y'all at the beginning Sue is one of these people who I just admire and I revere with every morsel of my cosmetological is what somebody came up, uh, morsel, brain, you know, molecular structure. I really do, but I don't just say that. I represent that in action. So with that being said, Sue and I, we thank you guys so very much for your time. And of course, in advance, we're definitely going to thank you for your support and making those phone calls. Please visit our Facebook pages. Please share. Share um, and, and write your own comments about it. You know, if there's something that you want to say about it, please do it. And so with that being said, you know what I always say when I'm signing out. So I'm always talking about a whole lot of love, a whole lot of peace, and of course, a whole <laughs> lot of hair. But if you ain't got no hair, don't want no hair, can't stand hair, you plan on cutting it off, but you like listening to hair porn. You know what I say, rub your beautiful, beautiful ball head because ball heads are. <laughs>